Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. I can tell you when it all started because I remember the moment exactly. It was late and I'd just finished the novel I'd been reading. A few more pages would send me off to sleep, so I went in search of a short story. They aren't hard to come by around here. My office is made up of piles of books, mostly advanced reader copies that have been sent to me in hopes I'll write a quote for the jacket. They arrive daily in padded mailers. Novels, memoirs, essays, histories, things I never requested and in most cases will never get to. On this summer night in 2017, I picked up a copy called Uncommon Type by Tom Hanks. It had been languishing in a pile by the dresser for a while, and I'd left it there based on an unarticulated prejudice that actors should stick to acting. Now, for no particular reason, I changed my mind. Why shouldn't Tom Hanks write short stories? Why shouldn't I read one? Off we went to bed, the book and I, and in doing so, put the chain of events into motion. The story had begun without my realizing it. The first door opened and I walked through. But any story that starts will also end. This is the way novelists think beginning, middle, and end. Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Anne Patchett is the author of seven novels and three works of nonfiction. In 2002, she won the Orange Prize for Bel Canto, and her most recent novel, The Dutch House, was a New York Times and Sunday Times bestseller. Today, I'm talking to Anne Patchett about her latest book, a collection of essays entitled These Precious Days. Anne, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Glad to be here. These Precious Days brings together revised versions of previously published essays, along with a few new ones. As a successful and celebrated author of fiction, what's the value of the essay to you? Well, I like to write essays for all sorts of different reasons. One is I like to be able to start something and finish it, uh, because when I'm writing a novel, it can go on for two or three years and nobody reads it while I'm working on it. And I feel sometimes a little lost to the world. So it can be very nice to say, oh, I'm just going to start this project in a couple of days, I'll be done with it. And then people will know that I'm still alive because I'll publish it in a magazine. And also sometimes it's just nice to deal with the truth instead of things you make up, real people, real situations, real time frames, kind of alleviates all of the difficult choices you have to make when you're writing a novel. You've made this journey before, but what's brought you back from the imagination-charged world of fiction to the general mess of everyday life? Hmm. Well, during the pandemic, I just didn't want to write fiction. It just didn't make sense to me. And nonfiction did. I was stuck in my house and I thought I'm going to write about what's around me. There really is a lot of luxury in writing fiction. You don't write fiction. I couldn't write fiction when I was wondering if the people that I loved were going to catch this virus and die. I didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but 
I could say, well, you know, I have a little time so I can tell this story that's true. And what was the catalyst for bringing this collection together? I had written a very long essay called These Precious Days um, that was about 60 pages long about my friend Suki Raphael. And when I wrote that piece, I, I really felt like it was one of the best things I'd ever done. I had been writing a lot of essays during the pandemic. And so I thought, well, I, I'm going to write more essays and make it into a book because I really wanted that piece to be out in the world. And I wanted to kind of create a frame or a scaffolding around it and have it be a book. The essay that gives the book its name is the story of a life-changing friendship in the shadow of COVID-19. How did this essay somehow come to be representative of these times? That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think that for a lot of people, COVID made us get off the hamster wheel of life, um, that we're, we're not just constantly running and running and doing the things that we always are expected to do. We, we all had to stop. And in stopping, we took account of what was important. I, I think that there were a lot of people who fell in love during the pandemic and a lot of people who fell out of love during the pandemic because you take a good hard look at your life and who you're with and what you really want. Um, but also I found myself appreciating very small things that I had been too busy to see for a long time, by which I mean the light and the plants and the weather and the dog and just my husband, my life, the things going on in the house suddenly seemed very precious to me. And do you think COVID has changed the nature of friendship or, or just our awareness of it? I don't think it changes the nature of friendship, but maybe it moves it to uh, back to a more important spot. Um, I remember somebody telling me once, actually David Sedaris, saying that he had been to a party and someone was saying that basically your life has four burners and one is family and one is friendship and one is health and one is work. And if you want to be really, really good at one of those things, you turn one of the burners off. And if you want to be fantastic at one of those things, you turn two of the burners off. And I think that the burner that so often gets turned off is friendship. People say, you know, if, if those are your four choices, friends, family, work, health, okay, the thing that I could do without if something has to be cut are friends. And I think during COVID, maybe what we realized is the thing that we can't do without are our friends. When I met Suki and, and she came for a bunch of fluke reasons to come and live with, my, with me and my husband in Nashville, she was very ill. And so her time was very precious. There was sort of the micro what was going in the house. Suki has cancer and she wasn't going to have a long life. And so our time felt very precious. Then there is the macro of what's going on around the world. People are getting COVID or trying very hard to avoid COVID. But all of these things are making us think about our life and our time. It was a little bit like going off to school and being assigned a roommate. And you think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to live in this tiny room with two beds with this total stranger. And then finding out that that stranger is your best friend. You have all of this time to just waste with someone. 
The whole book is extremely personal. There was one essay you've been asked about many times, I'm sure. There are no children here. It sets out in no uncertain terms your reasons for not having children. Why did you feel you even needed to address this particular issue with this essay? I'm really glad you asked that question because it has a very funny and unexpected answer. So when I write a book of essays, I do this thing called The Weak Sister, which is I'll give the book to one friend and say, tell me which essay is The Weak Sister, and then I'll pull it out. And then I write another essay. And then I give the whole book to another friend and say, tell me which one's The Weak Sister, and I pull that essay out and I write another one. So I did that several times, and I thought the book was very good. And then the very last person who sees it is my editor. So I said, you know, is there anything that you think I should get rid of? Well, there was a very, very long essay in the book about Reese Witherspoon. I had written a profile of her for Vanity Fair, and I thought it was, I thought it was very good. She's such an interesting person. She's done so much as an industry leader, really changed the rules in Hollywood. And it was an examination of being a feminist. And I, I, I was very happy with it. But he said, you know, this is good, but it doesn't fit in with the rest of the book. I mean, no matter what it is, it's still a celebrity profile. And I think it just sticks out. I think you should take it out. Well, it was about 6,000 words long. So I thought, okay, now I've got this big hole in the book and the book is now just about to go to press. You know, it's, it's late in the game. What, what could I write about? very quickly. And I thought, as long as I have been a professional writer, people have asked me to write about not having children. And I've always said, that's just not interesting. I, I mean, you have children, you don't have children, who cares? Um, but I thought, all right, I'll, I'll do that. And I felt like I wrote that essay in 20 minutes. I mean, <laughs> I felt when I sat down to write it, I had so much to say that I'd never realized I had to say on the subject. It really was a case of something writing itself in a way that I've almost never experienced. So that's how I came to write that essay. And that's how it came to be in the book. And it's an interesting replacement for the essay about Reese, because I think it is very much about what you do with your life and the choices that you make. And one of my favorite things that happened with that essay is a friend of mine sent it to his sister who has six children, who is a good bit younger than I am. And she said she was so moved by it because she'd had the same experience having too many children that I had had having no children because strangers were always coming up to her and saying, you're killing the planet. How can you do this? It's so selfish of you. And that we realized it wasn't okay to have no children. It wasn't okay to have six children. It wasn't okay to have one child because then people say, oh, that's very selfish. Then the child will always be alone. What people want you to have are two children. And they really will go out of their way to tell you about it. And it's just funny after a certain point. Quite a few of the essays in this book are about getting things in order, your home, lifestyles, even relationships from moving house, giving up shopping, generally downsizing, putting things in perspective too. Does this fascination with order extend to an obsession or simply one mm. of life's passing phases? Well, I think I've always been interested in order and it's my self-soothing mechanism. 
You know, if I get anxious and overwhelmed, I want to wash the kitchen floor. That's what makes me feel better. I used to smoke. And then when I smoked, I could have a cigarette if I was anxious and that made me feel better. But then, you know, everyone has to quit smoking at some point. What's left, I'm going to clean the fridge or, you know, whatever. Um, so, yes, it's definitely part of my nature. That's how I make sense of the world is to sort of make order in my environment. But I also think that the older I get, the more people I have seen who I love, who've died, who've left behind all of this junk that nobody wants. And I think, you know, it, it, we just build up our lives. We, we make this nest, we want more, we think of it as growth, but you get to a tipping point and you start to think it would be so much nicer to have less. And it feels just peaceful to have less. So that seems to be the place where I am in my life. Is this book, in fact, an exercise in uh, getting your own house in order, perhaps emotionally, spiritually even? Um, well, yeah, um, I would hope so. That would be a, a lovely outcome of it. I keep saying that it's a joyful book about death. I had not set out to write about death so much, and yet it seems that over and over again in this book, I am thinking about my own death or the death of people that I love and how well, obviously, because I was writing it during a pandemic, and I think everybody was sitting at home thinking about death. Um, but also thinking, when you think a lot about death, one of the outcomes is definitely you can spend a lot of time thinking about how great your life is, and how beautiful everything is, and how lucky we are. Um, and so it became my joyful book about thinking about death. <laughs> the book also involves quite a lot of excavation, if I can use that word, and even dissection of past events, experiences, friendships. Somehow they seem to flow quite naturally from your pen and your voice. But to see everything in retrospect, was that an easy process? Well, I'll tell you, it is easy as a fiction writer because I always say writing fiction is hard. It's really hard for me. And so when I'm writing things that are true, all of the things that I find hard in fiction are basically already solved. If I'm writing a novel, I have to figure out who the characters are. Well, okay, in an essay, you know, because I'm the character and my mother and my sister and my father, those are the other characters. When does it start? When does it end? It makes perfect sense what the arc of the story is going to be because it's based around an event that actually happened. You know the place, you know the dialogue, you know how people sound. So all of these pieces of the puzzle that I struggle to figure out when I'm writing a novel come to me very naturally when I'm writing nonfiction. So um, it's, a, it's a bit of a holiday. It's a relief. I was struck by a phrase in the chapter called A Day at the Beach. We mean to seize the day, knowing there are a million things to stop us. And I wondered, as I read these precious days and, and pondered the ideas within each essay, I wonder what the sum of these ideas was. Uh, is this a manifesto, a philosophy? Uh, I wondered if I was about to read the world's most detailed last will and testament. <laughs> but how would you like these precious days to be received? It's funny. I don't really think so much in those terms. And, and also with an essay, it's so different because you're writing one at a time. Uh, you know, so... I'm writing something that interests me. I'm, 
I'm thinking, oh, I've always wanted to write about my husband and and his flying the plane. Um, And I want to write about my friend who runs the homeless shelter. And I want to write about my childhood best friend. I'm not thinking thematically. I'm not thinking, will these add up to a whole? And in fact, when when I put the book together, there were so many more essays, but they didn't fit for one reason or another. So I take them out, I take them out. I don't think it's really up to me to say what anyone should get out of it. I try my best at each essay to get that particular story across, to say this was my experience, which I hope will have resonance with other people. I mean, again, the the piece about Carl flying planes which I think is just a story about marriage and compromise and loving another person and, and just saying you've got to let them be themselves, even if what they're doing scares you to death sometimes, um, that it has a universal connection, even if it doesn't have a specific connection. I think that that's what I would really hope. It's been wonderful to talk to you, Anne. So thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. I've been talking with Anne Patchett about her new book, These Precious Days. It's published by Bloomsbury and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxuryread.com.au to find out how.